Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com. And we're coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks like iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, and a host of others. And in addition to that, we will be on syndicated terrestrial radio also. And we are so excited to be voted number one caregiver podcast on Player FM out of the top 50 and number two caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60 and number two again on CaringVillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Lisa Skinner is a behavioral expert in the field of Alzheimer's disease and related dementias in her 25 plus years uh, as a career in uh, community counselor and regional director of senior care facilities. And she has helped thousands of families find the best care options for their loved ones. And as a trainer, advisor, and public speaker, she has dedicated her career to teaching people the skills to effectively manage brain disease. And I should know because my mother and my mother-in-law both had some form of dementia. My mother was sweet about it. She knew she had it, but my mother-in-law, oh my God, was she a witch? She was in denial. She thought everybody was trying to trick her and steal her house. And, and she was calling the cops every day because people are stealing her stuff. And then they're mysteriously bringing it back. They're just dry, trying to drive her crazy. And uh, it was tough. Any dementia, any Alzheimer's is tough. So before we get started with the show, I just want to take a moment to thank my last week's guest, Erin Snyder. And she gives us some tips on how anyone can live a life they truly love especially after coming out of the pandemic. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews, including this one, on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of the other 26 global uh, audio and video platforms I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Lisa, welcome to the show, and we are so excited to have you on. Hi, Dave. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, the pleasure is mine. Okay. I like to ask my guests just who is Lisa Skinner, and why was she placed on this earth? There you go. <laughs> I didn't know the answer to that for a very long time, but I have followed the yellow brick road my entire life. And it finally led me to knowing where I'm supposed to be. And it turns out it wasn't to the land of us. It was really, I'm here to offer hope to people who are, living through this very challenging disease, not just caregivers, not just family members, but the people who are suffering from a brain disease themselves. Um, about 50% of the people who develop it are aware they have it. About 50% of the people that have it are not aware <laughs> they have it. So it's, it's a, definitely a mixed bag. And most of the people who are aware of it will talk about not being not their minds, just not the same. Right. 
So after having an entire career helping, counseling, running support groups, and then in addition to that, eight of my own family members. Oh my God, eight? I mean, that's an unheard of, right? Most people, if they have one, they think that's a lot. I've had eight. And how close were they to you? Five of them were blood relatives and um, direct. Oh, Lisa. Yeah, relatives. My grandmother, two of her daughters, not my mother. She didn't have it. My father had vascular dementia. And then three were through marriage. And we've seen the gamut of brain diseases that cause dementia. We've had Huntington's disease. We've had, we've had it all, but mostly the Alzheimer's type. And so to answer your question, I think Lisa Skinner is here to help people through this, to make a difference and offer hope for people who are really struggling through this disease. And the thing that makes it so difficult, as you know, Dave, (sighs) it's a long, long drawn out process. My grandmother lived with it for 20 years. The average we know is eight to 15, but it is a struggle for everybody involved because it's like that proverbial box of chocolates You just don't know on a day-to-day, minute-to-minute basis what you're going to get. It is so unpredictable. Your mother-in-law is being extremely difficult, but your mother stayed very sweet. These are all the things that show up with this this disease, and you really don't know what you're going to get from in, in any given minute of the day. So this is what I help people do. I help them understand this disease. And learn to identify these strange behaviors that accompany this disease. And then most importantly, how to manage those behaviors and how to manage those symptoms so family members and caregivers can really get back to what really matters. And that's enjoying the time that they have to spend with their loved ones instead of constantly be um, feeling anxiety and stress and feeling like they're fighting a losing battle. And what it really comes down to is learning a new way to communicate with somebody who can't communicate with us the way they did when they were healthy before they developed brain disease. And yeah. that's really specialized skills, but it's doable. Yeah. It, I didn't know we were going to be quoting Forrest Gump. <laughs> Life is like a box of chocolates. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really sad. Um, you and I are kind of in the same position, but you're, you're, you're kind of worse because you've got nine or maybe seven, six, seven blood relatives uh, who had it. And so you're probably a little concerned that maybe one day you'll get it. What are you doing to try to mitigate that risk? Because that, isn't that what they say? If it, it, uh, it's genetic, some of it, or all of it? Well, I don't know. Early onset dementia is genetic. And I believe the statistics are if you carry the gene for developing early onset. So it's. Does that mean you get it at a very early age? Yes. And yes. What, what kind of early age are we talking about? Oh, I've heard of people being diagnosed as early as um, their late 20s, early 30s. Oh, my. 
I would say on average, it shows up in the fifth, maybe in the fifties, the movie still Alice, that air yes. movie was themed around a woman who developed early onset dementia, which is the lesser known and less common form of Alzheimer's disease, oh because the one that we all kind of associate being um, Alzheimer's disease typically shows up in people after the age of 65. Yeah. So that is not necessarily genetic, but it does tend to run in families. And it certainly has shown up in mine on my mother's yeah. side of the family. So what I'm doing, there are actually a lot of things that we can do at any age to lower our risk of developing dementia. And they're all really lifestyle changes because there are many, many risk factors that um, increase our risk of developing dementia at a later age. And the more of these risk factors that we have stacked up against us, the higher our risk is of developing the disease. Now, there you, are- You want to say what those risks are? Yeah. So the number one risk factor is age, but that's not a viable risk. We have no control over that, do we? (laughs) We have no control over that. And the other two that we have no control over are um, is ethnicity, because there are certain ethnicity backgrounds that are at higher risk for developing dementia than others. What are the top three? Um, African-American, Hispanic. Wow. And Native American, believe it or not. But there are many risk factors that have been um, associated and linked through many, many, many years of studies that are modifiable. The one, number one most uh, highest risk factor for people to develop Alzheimer's disease that is manageable or modifiable is cardiovascular disease. Mm. People who have high blood pressure, hypertension, a, a heart condition, they are at a much higher risk of developing Alzheimer's disease than people who don't have any evidence of heart disease. But then again, That's controllable. it's controllable through medication and exercise. exercise. So if it's Diet. being managed, then that'll negate that from being stacked against you. But there are so many others. There's uh, diabetes is a huge risk factor. Again, it's manageable. Sleep apnea. Does diabetes only come, uh, I know there's two types, so if you're overweight, or does both types uh, is a factor in Alzheimer's? Yes. But again, manageable. Okay. So the other things that we can do to take control and lower our risk of developing Alzheimer's disease when we're older is start at any age, modify your diet and exercise. And when we say modify your diet, we're talking about cutting out, and I'm, I'm not saying eliminate it 100% because that's not realistic, but minimize the best you can, simple carbohydrates, and red meats. So uh, they, they recommend following more of a Mediterranean style diet with lean meats, chicken, fish, healthy, leafy greens, vegetables, uh, fruits, and less of the simple carbohydrates. What are simple carbohydrates? 
Oh, your white breads, your white rice, your desserts, your sugar, anything sugary, all the things that we love that are really proven not to be all that great for us. Um, so, but by doing so, you will actually lower your risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. And then the other key things to do, exercise is important. You don't have to follow the no pain, no gain rule of thumb. Walking is a great exercise to do, but you just have to move. A sedentary lifestyle really has demonstrated to contribute, not only if you have Alzheimer's disease and dementia, that you will uh, decline faster, but if you don't have it, you can, you're, it increases your risk of developing it. And then keep your brain challenged. Learn a, a musical instrument. That's an excellent way to challenge your brain because of the parts of the brain that um, are used to learn a musical instrument or learn a foreign language. It uses several parts of your brain and it really challenges your brain to have to think in two different yeah. Languages. So there are a lot of different things that you can do to um, help lower your risk by following some of these suggestions. Well, I'm doing a pretty good job. Um, you know, I'm 67 and a half, <laughs> which I have no control of. But uh, they say I'm a young 67 and a half. That's the new 45, I think. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I exercise, I swim, I ride my bike. Um, I, I do stay away from the white stuff. And uh, I stick to the lean uh, meats and not the red meats. Uh, you didn't mention uh, red wine. Is that uh, something we should take or not take? From everything I've read, if you don't drink excessively, mm -hmm. then red wine's supposed to be healthy for your, okay. for your heart. So um, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not saying this to sure. encourage people to think it's okay, but just everything I've read. Well, I might have a glass of wine maybe once, uh, twice a week at the most, but that's about it. So that's, that's about uh, my speed too. And you know, I know people who can, who can every single night, you know, two, three, four glasses, probably excessive. I don't know. <laughs> and then with my mind, you know, I learned a song when I was uh, 25, when my daughter was uh, taking piano lessons. Of course I took piano lessons myself when I was 12, but I don't remember a thing. But um, she was working on this song, Malaguena, Malaguena. And so I learned it. It took me a year to learn it uh, back then. And then I didn't touch it for like 25 years. And then when I started going through my mother's thing, I said, I'm going to learn that song again. And it didn't take me too long to learn it, but I, I was amazed at how quickly I forgot it. And now uh, I've learned two more songs in my old age. And if I, if I don't practice those songs at least once a week, um, they're very rusty. And so I'm figuring that uh, that'll be a good way to know if I'm deteriorating, if I can't remember <laughs> those songs. I remember that scene on the, uh, the notebook where she was playing the song and uh, she stopped to turn the page and then she started again. And he says, oh, I guess she turned the page. He says, no, that's from memory. And he was kind of strange. Great movie. And so is uh, about Alice. So what can we do <laughs> if our loved one is suffering from this? Because 
you know, it's so painful when we're dealing with a loved one and having to care for them. And sometimes they get violent. Sometimes they don't know us. Sometimes they don't like us. And other times, you know, they're sweet. Um, I found with my mother, you know, using headphones and going back to their era. Let's talk about that. The most recent memories are the ones that we lose first. Anything that's housed in our short-term memory, because with Alzheimer's disease, the, the hallmark of that disease is that it first attacks the short-term memory. Our long-term memories stay intact. And that is the reason why in The Notebook, which is one of my favorite movies, by the way, she could play that song from memory because she was pulling from her long-term memory. You can't remember the one that you just learned because that's being housed in your recent memories. So you may lose that if you ever develop dementia, but there's kind of a saying in our industry that you can talk to somebody that has dementia and they don't have a clue what they ate five seconds ago, but they can, they can uh, tell you a recipe that they learned when they were in their twenties. And it's because of the damage that's being done to the short-term memory. So this is kind of how I explain it to people. Think of the short-term memory as people are progressing through the stages of this disease as having a switch that can be turned on and off. In the very beginning stages of the disease, the switch is on more than it's off. So the short-term memory is functioning most of the time. And then every so often it gets shut off and people can't remember their most recent memories. Mm. As they progress to about the mid stage of the disease, that switch is on sometimes and off sometimes. And what I recommend to families to do to know what reality and what memory their loved one is pulling from is listen for the cues that your loved one is talking about at that time. If they're talking to you in the present you know that short-term memory switches on and their short-term memory switch and their short-term memory is functioning just fine at that moment. If they start talking about things that make absolutely no sense to you, they're talking about um, serving in the war and believing that they're actually still there. You know that short-term memory switch has just gone off and they are pulling from their long-term memory. If your mother doesn't recognize you, that short-term memory switch got shut off temporarily and she is pulling from her past memories, but she's in her mind, she's really living that time period. So maybe she doesn't recognize you because she hasn't gotten married and had a child yet. So how could she recognize you as being her adult child when in her mind, she's 12 years old, right? Hasn't even met her husband yet. And this is the exact reason why we see this toggling back between their reality being different from ours. And then all of a sudden their reality being aligned with ours. So you got to look for the cues and what we've learned from trial and error is when that short-term memory switch gets shut off, 
it is impossible to steer them back into our reality while they're pulling from their past memories and are living in their past reality. So don't correct. Don't argue. so hard. (laughs) It's very hard because that's what we instinctively want to do. So this approach is, yes, counterintuitive, but it's really the only option for us. We have to join their reality until that switch goes back on. Now, at the end of the disease, for most people suffering from dementia, the switch goes off entirely. Mm. I have an aunt who the last of the family members so far who's still living and she's been suffering from dementia. I want to say for five years, she's progressing through it very, very quickly. She's only 75. She doesn't recognize anybody. Mm. And she talks, she's talking about her parents' home. That's where she lives. She talks about her childhood friends, her husband of 50 years just passed away. She doesn't know a thing about it because she doesn't, in her mind, she doesn't have a husband. She's 12 years old living with her mother and father. So I, from what I can see, her long, her short-term memory is completely erased. That switches off permanently. So her two, her adult children and her grandchildren visit her and She doesn't know who they are, but she enjoys their company and they sing songs together and she can remember the words to the songs they're singing and they have a really nice visit and a great time. Like the notebook. Exactly like the notebook. But my cousin and um, her children, they join her reality and they let her just believe what she believes. And it's a really stress-free visit. And I personally have had thousands of people tell me over the 25 years that I've been doing this, and I've felt it myself having family members with dementia. It's very uncomfortable (laughs) and hard to visit people when you don't know what's going to happen next. So these are some of the tools I provide people so they really can enjoy it. Instead of struggling with it, not knowing what to say, not knowing how to respond, not knowing how to react. And those are good tools, you know, because um, uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's going backwards in time. And, and if you're trying to have a, a comfortable conversation with that person, just think of them uh, that they went back in a time machine and they're, and they're living in this space and so maybe it makes sense now, the, the craziness that they're talking about. And um, uh, I noticed you call that you don't call them delusions. You call them false, uh, false what? False beliefs. False beliefs, which but, is a, a kind way of saying that, isn't it? But it's real to them. Yeah. It's not real to us because we don't live in that altered reality. We live right. in the present. But to them, it's very real. So, I have an aunt who, who believes that she's in Brooklyn because that's where she came from. And she talks about it and she's just visiting out here. Yeah. And, and sometimes she's okay. But then sometimes she's, she's talking like, uh, you know, like the switch has been turned off. There you go. And that happens to just about everybody who suffers from Alzheimer's disease because and, that's part of the brain that's. that's- she's in an, uh, an, uh, an independent living uh, facility and she met another man who also has uh, dementia. And so they, they've taken up romantically 
they have a lot in common. They, they are not lonely anymore and they talk a lot. And some of the family members saying, gotcha, is that safe? Two people with dementia dating each other? And, and I says, hey, you know, loneliness is worse, I think. What's, what's your opinion on two people with dementia, maybe in a facility that, that kind of hook up? It happens all the time. Does it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a cute story. I, I ran a support group at a memory care facility for three years, right up to COVID when all of the facilities had to lock everybody out. And there was a woman in my support group who was married to a man who lived at the facility and she came to visit him every single day. But he didn't remember that she was his wife. She was just some lady who came by to visit and he had taken up with another lady in the memory care who he knew he wasn't married to her, but was very special to her. And they carried on this. It was a friendship, nothing more in front of the wife. And I had to admire her for going along with that whole scenario. And she said, I do it because he's happy. And I understand that he's in a different place than I am. And as long as he's happy and he's not agitated and all these, you know, aggressive behaviors don't show up that I'm leaving it alone and I just go with the flow. And, you know, that takes a courageous understanding woman to be able to, to see her own husband of something like 50 something years think that he's in a relationship with this other woman and doesn't recognize his own wife. But then again, he's pulling from other, another period yeah. of life. So now, she- since they're both in uh, short-term memory, what is the future of that? Are they eventually going to not remember meeting yesterday or whatever? Well, that's a $64,000 question. <laughs> um, for three years that I uh, ran the support group and I, she attended my support group, they carried on. Not physically, though. It was yeah. a friendship. They had their meals together. And both families seemed to be perfectly yeah. okay with it because they were both really happy. There's a book out. I think the name of it is Moments. It talks about, you know, don't worry about uh, trying to change your loved one. They're not going to change. Don't worry about trying to feel comfortable. Just try to have a moment. You know, that moment might last five seconds or 10 seconds or a minute. And, and then it's gone. And they're usually happy after that moment. They don't know why they're happy, but they had a moment. You know, maybe you and, and that person connected and you were at the same birthday party, you know, 25 years ago and something funny happened. And you were both laughing and, and then it was gone. And, and, but you made them feel good. You had a moment and that moment might carry them through the day, even though they don't remember what the moment was. Do you agree? Well, that's exactly true. We know that they might not remember your actual visit, but they'll remember how they felt for a while, maybe for you know a couple of days after. Yeah. Um, the joy or the good feeling that that visit gave them. So that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, what would you like to say that I haven't asked you about? Uh, maybe that I missed to our caregiver audience of burned out caregivers. And, you know, I used to think that um, my wife had a stroke and can't speak, but she can communicate non-verbally. I used to think that that was the worst thing that could happen. You, you can't 
express, you know, with your mouth, the words until my mother had dementia. I think that's worse being, you know, trapped in your body and not being able to remember anything. At least my wife can remember and she can try to communicate it through charades or Pictionary, but my mother can't do that. So I, I go to take these tests every six months, uh, early detection dementia. And, you know, they ask me the questions and they, I, I count backwards uh, from uh, increments of seven in, uh, uh, by starting at 100 and all these things. And because I want to know, <laughs> I don't want to be the last one to know that something's going on. Uh, so, and I told my kids, you know, half jokingly, if I ever get to be like so-and-so, you know, I'll show you where the guns are, make it look like an accident. I know Alice in the movie had her suicide all planned out and then it was foiled. Uh, what do you think of, of the right to die when someone is just tormented day and night with dementia? Um, I don't think there's a law that allows them to do that, right? Unless they, uh, you can withhold life support. And that's how my mother finally died. She needed to be intubated because I guess she couldn't remember how to swallow. And I says, no, she has a do not resuscitate, no tubes, no this, no that. And so she had her wish finally, but it, it took so long. Right now that in the state of California, where we are, you really have no options other than your do not resuscitate um, because we do not have um have legally passed the right to die like they have in Oregon. Here's a story of a woman who was um, living in California and she was dying of brain cancer and she moved to Oregon so she could make that choice, Mm. chose to end her life so she could do it on her terms and not have to suffer. And I, I don't think that's such a bad idea, but I do think that that needs to, those wishes need to be written, written before the person reaches the point where they are considered incapacitated and don't have the presence of mind, like the famous Robin Williams, who was diagnosed with Lewy body disease and, and made that choice for himself before he got to the point where he was diminished in his capacity. But that's just a personal um, feeling because I have watched so many people go through this disease and it's a tough disease for everybody. And I do believe that people can live a very high quality life with the disease, with if they have the, the right environment, they're provided with the right environment and they can thrive in that environment and the family members are provided with the right tools but it's, uh, it's a tough one because it is you, the person disappears and the family members have to grieve twice because of the loss of their loved one that they witnessed twice. First, the loss of the person that they once knew who has basically diminished to a person they don't even know anymore and they don't know you. And then the actual physical death. And then you have to go through that loss a second time, um, which we all go through when we have a loved one with Alzheimer's or one of the other brain diseases that causes dementia because there, there is no recovering from it. So 
I don't know in this circumstance if that would be such a bad thing that people could choose that right. And I'm going to tell you this, and I've never said this to anybody before. I, I am very aware that I am at very high risk of this disease because of my family history. And I probably would like that to be able to make that choice for myself if I was consciously aware that I had the disease and knew what my prognosis was going to be because everybody's is exactly the same just on a different time frame because everybody lives through it um, differently and in a different period of time. You know, my grandmother, 20 years, but the average is eight to 15. So um, I personally would like to have that option. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, I can't believe how time, how fast our time together has gone. I know. Lisa, Lisa how can our listeners uh, reach you if they want more information or uh, if you have a book, you say? I do have a book. It just came out. This is my second book. Congratulations. You want to say a few words about it? Yeah. It's called Truth, Lies, and Alzheimer's. It's Secret Faces. And the mm, reason why I call it Secret Faces is because all the things we talked about today that show up as a part of this disease. And keep in mind, everything you see and hear and witness is the disease. It's not the person you knew. This is available on Amazon and other fine booksellers. And this will give um, a reader a lot of these tips and tools that we've been talking about as to how to effectively manage and respond and react to behaviors and symptoms of the disease. So hopefully that'll act as a good resource for for family. And what what lies are you talking about on the title? People's misconceptions of living with this disease. What's the biggest one? I'd say the biggest one that I've seen over the decades is people really associate Alzheimer's disease exclusively with memory loss and confusion, but all these things that we've talked about today, the, you know, pulling from your past memories and not recognizing people and living in an alternate reality. These are all part and, of and paranoia. I don't think we paranoia. That. That's a big one. Yeah. My grandmother suffered from that. And just like your mother-in-law, mother-in-law, she called the police every single day. <laughs> telling, reporting bird living in her mattress. And we couldn't keep uh, caregivers around because yeah. they would quit because she keeps accusing them of stealing. Yeah, that happens very frequently. That's a common yeah. behavior. Okay, well, again, reminder, all our live shows become recorded podcasts, videocasts on our platforms mentioned before. If you go to my website, caregiverdave.com, uh, it's a free membership support community, lots of free gifts and resources. Click the like button on uh, whatever platform you're watching or listening. It helps us uh, reach even more caregivers by improving Google's search engine algorithm. And to all my listeners, thank you again for tuning in every week. And so until next week, same time, God bless you. Bye-bye. One Arm, One Leg, 100 Words, Overcoming Unbelievable Hardships is about Charlene, a stroke survivor. Back in 1996, Charlene was a healthy, normal, very active 52-year-old woman whose amazing talents resemble that of both a Martha Stewart and a Wonder Woman. 
But all that changed when she suffered a massive stroke that left her severely speech impaired and paralyzed on the right side. Who am I? My name is David. I've had the privilege of being Charlene's husband since 1975. We had a wonderful, fairy tale, storybook-like courtship that culminated in our marriage a year later. Charlene had just come out of a marriage where after 10 years, she received two black eyes and a broken nose by her former husband when he came home high on speed. Charlene believed in no second chances of any kind for abuse, so she left. Finding herself all alone in the world with her five and 10 year old daughters, Cynthia Lorraine and Deborah Lynn, she started raising them by herself for the next two years. Then fate brought us all together. After falling in love with Charlene, Cindy and Debbie, our love then produced Rebecca Elizabeth. We had a wonderful, normal life for the next 20 years. But today, things are very different for everyone. How about the reaction of nine-time Grammy and Devil Award recipient, the godfather of contemporary gospel Christian music, Andre Crouch? Charlene just won't let the promises of God go, and she has not let her circumstances get in the way of her faith. She's not just a survivor, she's more than a conqueror, as the Bible states. You'll be encouraged by her testimony, regardless of what you're going through. Available everywhere. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. 